This is Pauline Jennings, and you're listening to Musician Talk. My guest today is Therese Tkach Hibbard, director of the Manitou Singers and St. Olaf Chamber Singers, and teacher of choral conducting, literature, and voice at St. Olaf. She has served as conductor, adjudicator, choreographer, and clinician for numerous choral organizations throughout the world. Before St. Olaf, she served as Associate Director of Choral Activities at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln and worked for 12 years as singer, dancer, choral conductor, singing tutor, and senior lecturer in the UK. Therese has also performed professionally as solo vocalist, dancer, and choral singer. She is a dynamic and talented woman who I'm honored to have on the show. Let's learn more and talk with Therese to catch Hibbert. Welcome, Therese, to Musician Talk. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to have you on during this very, very busy time for you um, right now, getting preparing for the St. Olaf Christmas Festival. And I've seen you conduct multiple times, and I love watching you. You're so fluid. You can tell you're a dancer. Your body speaks. It really does up there, and it's so it's fun to watch you. Thank you. The, the inspiration is the people in front of me, of course. Nice. And the music and the music itself. Of course. So let's just dig right in. When did you first start getting interested in music? Did you take lessons? What instrument was it? Was there an instrument? Uh, just kind of take us through your musical journey. Like every good child, I was brought up to take some piano lessons. My mom um, loved music and um, did some singing and everything. But it was and so I dutifully took piano and I was never very good at it, though I took it for quite a long time. But it was when I started to sing um, in choirs as a young child. And then as my um, as I grew and my interest grew and also um, I learned that I could sing solos and I started kind of um, in school choirs and all of that and in music theater. Yes. So, um, and that kind of brought that combination of singing and dancing and acting. And it really opened up uh, many ideas that sort of took me further along. And so I was, of course, uh, when I was very young, wanting to be a Broadway star, as everybody does. And then I learned that um, conducting was a beautiful com- combination of singing and moving and um, feeling the music with your whole self. And I also found out that teaching is a performing art. I always tell my students I haven't really decided what I want to be when I grow up. And I've decided not to decide, but um, this is what I'm doing now. You know, I, I I find that so true. I do some substitute teaching and and it, it's improv. It's just you're, you're constantly acting the whole time, particularly with the young kids, I find. But um, I, yes. te- I teach them um, the choral conducting course, which is sort of the middle conducting course for the music education majors here. And I always say you have to prepare to be spontaneous. In other words, it might look that way, but it is, yeah, that careful preparation. And I think the best performing and the best teaching has that as its common ground is that, of course, hours and hours and days and months, was it 50,000 hours of hard work to make it look spontaneous? Right, right. And, I, you know, I think every teacher should take improv classes yeah. because it is you, you have to put the time and the work in in order to be spontaneous. To find in the moment, because that's what true art is. Recordings are just a knitting together of many fine performances, but live performance is always a risk. Yes, it is. Oh, that's beautiful. I love that. 
Um, so you said that you found that conducting brought all these pieces together for you. How did you much figure that out? Life, much later in life. I, I'm, I'm a late bloomer. Okay. Uh, but I think it was, I think the process, you know, artists have a long, slow life of bringing together so many things. And I think I would never, I mean, at the undergraduate age of the people I'm now teaching, if someone had said, oh, you're going to be a college professor, I would say never, never, never. <laughs> um, uh, that wasn't, but it, one thing leads to another and every experience, I think, um, sort of, if you're doing it right and you're loving it and you are that fortunate, um, that it doesn't stay still. It always evolves. It always grows. It always goes. And then you take the next step in a direction and then that takes you to the next step. And so um, none of it was calculated except that I knew that I had things to offer as a musician, as a performer, and, a, and eventually as a teacher. So that's kind of how it came together. When was the first time you conducted that you got on, in front of a choir and conducted them? Do you remember that? Probably um, when I was working on my first music degree, my bachelor's degree, my undergraduate degree, because, you know, that's part of the class and everything. And part of me loved it, but I think probably i knew what i love that but i i have a feeling that it was the the um the combining of of things together that that i really enjoyed so maybe that has something to do with how that sparked me towards this path so you got your bachelor's degree in you said music yeah and music education because my father wanted me to have a job and did you also do performance there while you were at college? Oh, yes. And yeah, recitals and opera and music theater. Wow. And I also, you know, the dance company. I'm just like all of these students here at St. Olaf. <laughs> I wanted to do everything all the time. But the beautiful thing is I had so many opportunities because I it, the school is in um, Virginia, right outside D.C. Lots of opportunities oh, for yeah. summer work. Um, and that was where the performing came in. So even though I was being a dutiful, getting my degree, I was every summer I was performing and having amazing experiences um, professionally. And I think that that has always influenced um, everything for me. Yeah, absolutely. It's continuing to do it even when I'm teaching it. So what were some of your favorite roles when you were doing summer theater and or summer singing? Oh, oh I, I love all the. I did a lot of ingenue roles. You know, you can yep. think of all of the classics, whether you want it to be Carousel or Sound of Music, um, Pippin. Right. Um, there's, I mean, lots of those very good smaller things. And when I was in my last years of high school, I lived in Northern Virginia and we did something called Youth on Stage, which was sponsored by the National Endowment for the Arts and Humanities. And oh. they gathered people from um, young people, we auditioned all up and down the East Coast, and they did like a touring show. They were, it was like training us to be pre-professionals. And we had an arranger, we had a choreographer, we had a director, and oh. they brought these people all together. And um, because it was in Northern Virginia and Virginia, it, it was an amazing moment where a lot of these singers were African-American as well as, you know, white girls like me. And right. that, that combination, and we toured on a bus and we went all up and down the East Coast. And it was the most, it's what made me a, um, a performer and a musician, having that experience at that level. And I think it showed me in its infancy how combining things together and this, the, our choreographer, when we would get to a new stage, would have us do our vocal warmups with our body warmup our, you know, our dance warm up, And nice. that's when it first went. Phew. Yeah. And that's for me, that's my whole research area. So that is, that is such a great opportunity that you have. That oh, is amazing. My life. Changed my life. Yeah, I bet. Those peak experiences, I try and create them whenever I can, because those are the things that send 
young artists on to do more. We have to move on here pretty soon, but I just, I'm I'm interested. You said this is your research. This is your area of research. So can you tell us about that a little bit? Um, Well, when I was doing my doctor work and before that, I I started working with um, sort of um, show choirs, music theater ensembles and things like that, because I was a singer and a dancer, Mm -hmm. um, a conductor and a choreographer. So, you know, they they could just hire one person (laughs) to work on those kinds of things. And then at a certain point, I had a colleague who said, could you come do that with my concert choir? Or in other words, so I've, it's a whole sort of pedagogy and, and philosophy of using your whole self as a singer. And it involves um, um, body um, movement. Um, it combines things like yoga and contemporary dance and um, Laban movement analysis. And um, well, anyway, just many oh. things. It kind of brings them together to allow a singer to use more of themselves to express the music. I would love to take that class or a couple classes about that. I have taught some classes for teachers, but it, it is a way of um, uh, rehearsing and performing. I think of if you have a musical theater background like you do, that makes so much sense. But I got to believe that when you bring that into a choir full of students that perhaps aren't in theater, it's a really strange idea to be moving that much. Maybe not so much anymore because you got the gospel whole thing kind of being influenced. Well, and I'm telling you, show choir, music theater, I mean, MTV, um, everything. Well, TikTok, Instagram. Sure, I mean, sure. You know, right, right. But these, these young people are used to moving and singing, but it's making them aware uh, that it's the same, that we that we are the instrument. Mm. We are the stuff of which our art is made, to quote somebody famous who I don't remember. <laughs> Um, and um, I think just um, allowing them to um, express the music with their whole selves is something they haven't always thought about. As little kids, we teach music that way all the time. Right. Bring it to um, adults, to older people, all of that, and then just to make them feel, yeah, not mm-hmm. just for gospel, but absolutely that kind of idea that all music has a feel. And when you find that, some people call it a groove whatever. And that, um, the more that you let the music move you literally, yeah. um, and then when you're standing there performing in whatever capacity with a microphone on a choral stage, whatever, then it kind of microwaves in and becomes something we call inner dancing. Yeah. I love that. Oh, Teresa, we could talk about this for hours. We need to, I want to move on to, um, teaching at St. Olaf and how long you've been there and how that came about. I've been here seven years, um, which I know I just went, but I've known um, uh, Anton Armstrong for um, many years through the Oregon Bach Festival, which is where we met out on the coast in obviously in Oregon, um, which is an amazing um, festival, not just of Bach music and Baroque, but of contemporary, of new music. Um, I did my doctorate out at the University of Oregon. And so that's kind of how I got involved in the festival. And it's been a touchstone in my life for many, many years. And um, my colleague and, um, uh, well, my one of my dearest friends up at the University of Minnesota, um, Professor Kathy Romy, uh, was also involved in a very integral way, continues to be. But it was through this um, work in a professional choir, but then they decided they wanted um, a youth choral academy um, to so bring up the next sort of generation. And so they asked me, because I was doing my doctoral work there, if I would do this body singing classes, which is what we call this idea of using your whole self to sing. And so Anton was the artistic um, director, the conductor. And so we met and um, the partnership is ever since. Love that. That's terrific. 
So this first piece that we are going to listen to is from a concert called A Cry for Hope and A Call for Peace. And this was very recent, right? It was last Sunday, actually. Oh, really, really recent. Really wow. recent. <laughs> so this is the Chamber City Chamber Singers uh, concert. So yes. um, we are going to listen to the first song that's yes. in the concert. So could you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, this is a the most beautiful early music piece, and I will probably not get the pronunciation right either, but it's called Dios It La Conancine, um, and it's a very, um, very early piece um, of Spanish. It's from the um, uh, Nuhatl language, and um, this wonderful group called Border Crossing, which is up in the cities, they specialize in um, uh, bringing marginalized music, especially of Latino, Latinx community um, together for ancient and modern, um, and they're doing marvelous work. And so mm. they have been publishing some of the, the pieces that, that they have been using and developing. And so I thought it was a beautiful way for us to bring more, um, diversity to our, uh, performance. We tend to do a lot of early music, um, because we're a small choir, um, like a Bach cantata or Renaissance music. Um, but this was particularly beautiful and particularly ancient. And then we pair it with, sort of modern music that comments on these same um, human feelings or um, ideas or so that the Bach cantata we did was called um, um, Aus der Tiefen. Um, it was about um, the famous, I, out of the depths I cried to thee, O Lord. Oh. And then we also um, sang a movement from um, this new cantata called um, the seven last words of the unarmed, which is, um, about all of the recent yeah. issues. And, uh, and so pairing them with things like um, very modern comments on very ancient music. And so we opened our concert with, with this beautiful piece. It's just beautiful. And of course, we perform in Bow Chapel, which has a lovely acoustic. And it, this piece is made for that kind of space. And so but that's it's how absolutely we- beautiful. Uh, before we listen to it, I want you to tell me a little bit about the chamber singers. Uh, when I was hired, they, um, of course, they asked me to conduct the Manitou Singers, which is the, the large um, soprano and alto, uh, formerly women's choir, about anywhere from 80 to 100 singers. They're all first years. Um, and they come, and of course, we have the, the balancing choir of the Vikings, which is all tenors and basses. And they all come um, and they sing together this first year before the audition for the other choirs, including the St. Olaf Choir or Chapel Choir or Cantorai. And so it's I, I said, I get to have my first year every year with them. And it's just um, a privilege to watch them go from um, from young people to mature humans. It's um, they're inspiring. They have beautiful, fresh energy and they're very earnest and intense. But I think that's a characteristic of most St. Olaf students. <laughs> um, anyway, so they also asked me to do this St. Olaf Chamber Choir, um, which is the smallest group on campus. It's designed for um, what I call singing small. And it means that you have much more responsibility because there may only be four or five or six people on your part. Um, but it's a kind of chamber music that a lot of people are doing professionally. We have vocal essence up in the cities. Um, yep. The famous Conspirare from, by Craig Hella Johnson, one of our graduates. Um, these are popping up all over the place. And to give them that kind of experience to balance their large choral experience, um, because if they're going on professionally, these may be some things that they would be doing. So we only rehearse twice a week for about an hour, an hour and 15 minutes. They have to work in between. Um, they work for music. Um, and uh, yeah, they're completely wonderful. 
It's very, very powerful singing. I, I found it to be very powerful. So let's they, just they are take a listen to Therese conducting the chamber singers in this ancient Spanish piece.
This is Pauline Jennings, host of Musician Talk. My guest today is Therese Hibbard, conductor of the St. Olaf Chamber Singers, who you just heard sing an ancient Spanish choral piece. All right, so Therese, as I said, just so powerful, very beautiful, powerful voices, and you can... There is a difference from the bigger choirs. It, you hear ind- some individual voices out there too, and uh, beautifully, beautifully done. I have a couple of things that I noticed for this piece anyway. The it seemed like the altos and the tenors, sopranos, basses were all mixed up. You could probably tell that visually if you were watching. The, yes, you know, I was. Yes, and that was purposeful. Um, as, as as I know it to be, because I've seen choirs in between songs change position. Right. And so how do you decide? Is it Are you told to do that in the music? Uh, I mean, by the composer, or do you make that decision? And how do you make that decision? Well, there's practical reasons. And then, of course, there's musical reasons. Practically, if, if they're strong enough, each, everyone on their own part, because again, there's a lot of responsibility when you sing small right. to make sure that you, you know, it's not a lot of voices to, you know, give you more confidence. Um, if they're all strong, then that is a beautiful way, especially to do early music, because it, all of the different parts rise out. Like you said, you can hear individual voice parts um, and because that's how the music is constructed. So it's a nice mm-hmm. way to do it in order to, uh, let that rise out from the score and really come into the air in the way it was really intended. Whereas if we, some of the other things we did later in the concert, we did in sections, you know, like all the sopranos stood together, all the altos, tenors, because that's what the music called for to re, to also um, sort of shine out the features of the music. So some of it is my decision, some of it is practical, and some of it is up to the singers. When you think of the um, older music, maybe I think of what comes to mind is madrigal singers, and they are usually all mixed up. Yep, and, exactly for that same reason. So you can hear because um, the, a lot of times you have individual lines rather than everybody singing all together like a hymn, right? You know, polyphonic right. or imitative, and so it's a great way to feature all of that. But it does take um, confidence and. Um, um, practice to be able to have be able to sing that part with other parts around you. But I found yes. with the chamber singers over the years that they love it when we get to that point. Yeah, because they really hear everything around us. It makes it much more fun. Well, and not relying on your neighbor it teaches you a lot too. I mean, it, like you totally said, relying on the neighbor who's singing the other part to hear how the music right. fits together in a different way than you're relying on the, your neighbor when you're in a, a bunch of altos. Same, mm-hmm. exactly. Got it. All right. So uh, I want to talk a little bit about the St. Olaf Christmas Festival coming up here on December 2nd and 3rd. And I saw, I didn't know this until I looked it up to see exactly when it was, that it's at Orchestra Hall this year. I know. Isn't that the most amazing thing? We are so excited. How did that come about? I'm (laughs) I'm not sure how all those decisions were made. I mean, they asked us what we thought about it. I think it was maybe in the spring or this summer. And I only have, I'm only guessing. I don't know. You'll have to ask someone who's at a higher. (laughs) But when they said that we had the opportunity to maybe take Fest up to Orchestra Hall, I was so excited, maybe because I didn't go to St. Olaf. Or And I know there's great tradition there, and it's very beautiful, and I've been honored to be a part of it for seven years, but it's not what's anything I knew about before I came here. Right. And so uh, the opportunity to sing in a world-class hall that is made for music making yes. rather than a wonderful field um, house, which they 
transform in a beautiful way, but it is made for sports. <laughs> right. And we do our very best. And and I think that's part of our tradition. We have lots of concerts in Skogland, right? And this one's a very special one. But to have that opportunity this once for our students, I think is worth everything. In 2017, we were invited to the um, National Convention of the American Choral Directors Association, and they invited us to come up and mount fest so that all of the choral directors in the nation could see it. Wow. And so wow. we did it in the middle of March. It was very strange. <laughs> but, but it was very good because, of course, we'd done fest that December. I think it gave us the courage to say, maybe we could do this because right. we had done it, sort of, you know, in that space and, and had, I mean, we had some knowledge. So I, I think that gave them courage. And so when they told us we were doing it, I was, I was thrilled. Yes, and I bet you the students are so excited. They are. And I think a lot of our alums and faculty are, are thrilled to to go up and have an event. And I know they're doing everything they can, from what I understand, to provide buses and to provide ways to get our students up there for free, you know, who want to watch. and Right. What is the theme this year for the fest? It's called The Promise of Peace. Oh, how lovely. And, and I think we did that, you know, we planned them way in advance, very purposefully especially with everything that's going on in our world and is always going on in our world, right. whether we're talking about our own personal inner peace, which we all struggle for right now um, with, you know, surviving pandemic or not. And all of the things that it has left as unintended consequences, right. And how we find ways to come back together and, and provide healing for each other and, and within ourselves. So it's kind of an inward outward thing, but I feel in my short time doing fest, I feel like fest always has some of that. I, I think so, too, from the shows that I've gone to. Uh, Anton, of course, is the artistic director. He kind of just, thank goodness, folds everything together because he's been doing this for a little while. Right. Um, and I do, I do always appreciate his vision and his open ideas t for the vision of others and letting that kind of um, shape everything. It's really oh it, it's a true collaboration. It's wonderful. <laughs> his spirit is something else, isn't it? I am fortunate in all of my colleagues, but particularly in my colleague who I've known for many years. Yeah. I love I see how lucky I am to have ended up here. I, it was, it's a miracle. So I'm just, I'm fortunate every day. Well, it seems to me that they're very fortunate to have you as well. Grace. <laughs> You're very just kind. Talking to you. We'll um, see. <laughs> so we're, we're going to skip the quote part uh, of this interview this time, because uh, we've had so many wonderful things to talk about. And I still want to talk deeply about this next piece and about the Manitou Singers. And so um, the piece we're going to play next, like I said, is the Manitou Singers. And it is a song written um, by my mother-in-law, Carolyn Jennings, which I was just so pleased to hear you I say that know. when you were... That's so funny. Oh, yeah. I love her music. Um, and I'm, I know I'm biased, but I, I really, really do. And I love this piece. So why don't you tell us a little bit about this? I love her music too. And I'm very fortunate to have met her and been coached by her for several pieces on fest. And mm. uh, I actually know Mark um, from when my time in Nebraska. So there's oh, nice. that connection through him to her. And of course, um, meeting her as an emeritus professor um, has been an honor. Well, I was looking for trying um, to find um, women composers, which I like to do with Manitou singers. Um, and uh, trying to piece some things together. And it was songs about nature. And, and um, one is an indigenous song. And one was um, songbird. Um, and all these different um, 
kind of feelings. And then Melanie Demore's Blessed Be, The Tree of Life. And so then I, I came across this new, um, uh, I think they had just republished it or maybe published it for the first time, Some Glad Morning. And it was Carolyn Jennings and I was so thrilled. And so we prepared that as well. And it just fits so beautifully. The, the text of it, the poetry is beautiful. And the singers, their voices, she has a way of voicing um, especially um, soprano and alto voices that it just rings and it just rises and um, they ended up they was challenged at first but now they just they loved it so much it was one of their favorite pieces and we did it for family weekend which is in like in nine rehearsals which is oh, wow. crazy yeah. um, and they were the, anyway they were marvelous so I will do it again in the spring and I'm hoping that maybe we'll we'll get um, Carolyn to come in and say hello yeah yes, because I just think she's a marvelous example of of um, strength and fortitude and being a woman in a man's world. And my favorite thing about Manitou singers is that Manitou means great spirit. Oh, it's not gendered. And in this day, when we have many young people who are exploring many possibilities in terms of gender and sexuality, I love that Manitou can be whatever it needs to be for whoever needs to sing. And um, that's how we go forward. And so now it's called Trouble Voices instead of Women. It is. Women. And I have some non-binary. I have some people that are um, exploring um, all of those possibilities. And we can, um, Tesfa, who's my um, counterpart in Viking Chorus and also does chapel choir, we decided um, several years ago that if there is a young person that needs to co-inhabit both Viking and Manitou while their voices um, transform, that we will make that happen for them. You're Thank welcome. you for doing that. Well, yeah, that's, that's, sorry, this is the 21st important. century. And the important thing is that everybody gets a chance to sing. That's right. That's exactly, that's the important thing. It, it, all that other stuff goes away, doesn't it? I have a couple more questions about the medical yeah. singers before we hear this. Um, so it's trouble voices, it's alto and soprano, but you don't necessarily have just two parts. No, in fact, it depends on the piece. I think Carolyn's piece is mostly three parts. The songbird that we did later was four, sometimes six. Um, and sometimes we sing in unison. Yeah. And there is nothing more beautiful than bringing voices together for one sound. You know, unison means one sound. Um, and some of our most beautiful moments, I think, even at fest with 400 and some people singing in unison. Oh, I bet. It's heart stopping. Yeah. Um, but I, so I love all the different um uh, layers, all the different gears. But one of the most important things we work on is to find that common sound, not the same, um, but together. Let's hear how that works right wow. now in hearing um, Some Glad Morning, written by Carolyn Jennings and uh, conducted by my guest today, Therese Hibbard, and performed by the Manitou Singers.
You're listening to Musician Talk, and I'm Pauline Jennings, your host. You just heard a Carolyn Jennings piece called Some Glad Morning, sung by the St. Olaf Manitou Singers, conducted by my guest today, Therese Hibbard. I love this piece. It sounds like more than three parts, actually. Um, it, it's, like the, it's like the voices when there's some harmonics or something going on, so it feels overtones, right? So it just the sound is so full, and... Like I told you, I think before we started that uh, it there's points in the in this song where I feel like my chest is opening up to to, <laughs> to the world, you know, and or or like or like you're sitting in a you're sitting outside and there's clouds and then it, all of a sudden the sun comes through. It's just this opening of the world somehow inside of me that makes me so emotional. So and I, I think that we have to give a lot of credit of that to the composer. Yes. yes. And the poet and how she envisioned using those words. Yeah. And knowing how um, uh, treble voices would sound, you know, soprano alto voices would sound um, as she created the music. Um, and then when it's such a beautiful score like that, being able to sort of um, embody all that the intentions of the score are there and lift it off the page and bring it to life that's when you have those feelings so that was a very beautiful compliment thank you and you do lift it off the page as the conductor as well I mean and the voices I can do nothing it's the voices but they um, are inspiring and they will take the journey with me so I'm very grateful every week we have best gig worst gig and it's a little bit tricky as a conductor but I I I just I want to lots of terrible stories about performing but (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> when I was young and foolish and made really poor choices, but maybe that's right, another right, show. <laughs> right, that we could totally go. Have, um, maybe that'll be curtain call because there's another there show go. I do called Curtain there Call. You there you, you go. Then ask I'll tell you all those, about those. I'll tell you those bad stories on myself. Yes. Right, right, right. But I bet you you just had some horror stories from COVID and, and trying to do what you do via Zoom, which is impossible. You're asked to do the impossible, really. Well, and it's because technology is not cut up to what we do. Um, the solo singing, I mean, we survived with a lot of help and technology to make things kind of happen. Virtual choirs are an amazing thing, but it, they're not the same thing. They're right. their own thing. 
and and thank god we had them and we all learned a little bit more about all of that um right. and it, we survived um and we maybe even did more than that but there were so many things trying to trying to teach people over zoom um trying to create some kind of of community even though they couldn't hear each other and right. and when we, we did all that we could and more and uh and i think please let that never happen again. But if it does, I think our technology is continuing to work in order to, you know, if we have to, to deal with it. But the, the thing is, is that no matter how much you're trying to sing together over Zoom, you're only hearing yourself pretty much right. or other people by delay. And, and that's not why you come together to sing. No, you, delay is like antith antithesis to together. Okay. We sort of explored a lot of, of tough um subject matter especially in minnesota george floyd all of that the, and we never will take singing together for granted again there are many silver linings i i have i think most people that i have talked to about it have found that how they grew and how their musician their music grew and the time they had to practice that they never had before and on and on and on and writing that they did that they never had on and on there are so many silver linings and it's and it's really nice to have it behind us i hope i mean knock there, on wood and that the individual's work that was very important but but being together we will we will feel the effects of that for years isn't it wonderful that music and especially singing together we still need to be in the same room yes. we still need to be face to face i say heart to heart um, and as we, this was our joke during the pandemic, when we finally came back together, we just need to be in the room where it happens. Yes. Just like Hamilton. <laughs> yes. Yes. And you, you can't use your phone for that. Right. Goodness. Thank goodness. Thank goodness. Right. During our break, you said that the, your best gig is always the next one. Or the one I just did. And I, I'm very self-critical. I think most of us in the arts are. Mm -hmm. So I can always think of the one thing I would want to do different or whatever. But then I always have the possibility of, of making it better the next time. And I think we are such a process-oriented um, profession. Um, but we, and, and like I said, uh, live music is always a risk. We try and reach perfection, but of course we can never get there. And maybe that's what keeps us going. There's always, you're always striving for something, which is a beautiful thing. Well, I think that's, that's the human spirit. We, you know, if we become like, okay, I've done it, then I guess it's time to retire. Right. But the best thing about um, what, what we get to do is that there's always something new to learn. Yes. New to do. And it's, um, it truly does fire you for your whole life. So I'm, how lucky am I? Yes, you are blessed, blessed woman, and we are blessed to have you, and I'm blessed to have you on this show. Oh, well, thank you for asking. The St. Olaf Christmas Festival up at Orchestra Hall, I think there are very, very, very few tickets left. So what I want to say, I mean, I'm not going to discourage anybody from calling and trying to get tickets, but I do want you to know out there that there's a live stream on, at the show on December 3rd at 730 I also think that there is a waiting list and, you know, it's like airline seats, you know, right. it's that people have intentions and then stuff happens. And especially right now, we still have, we still have the big, you know, COVID thing going on yep. every now and then. So it is worth checking. Absolutely. Thank you so much for being on the show in this very, very busy time. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an honor. Bye-bye. 
Many, many thanks to Therese for this joyful conversation and for sharing her musical journey with us today. By the way, if you want to stream the St. Olaf Christmas Festival on December 3rd at 7.30, go to christmas.stolaf.edu. Thanks always to Wendy Nordquist and to you, dear listener, for tuning in to Musician Talk on the One, KYMN. Have a terrific day and a blessed Thanksgiving.